Welcome. If, uh, if you're new to here, we've been in the book of Mark. And this morning is going to be just a little bit different in that we're going to look at the parallel text that we normally would be in this morning. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 15 for today, same story where we're at in, in our study of Mark. But uh, to begin with here, we're, we are going to play the, the NIV version of this scripture in Matthew chapter uh, 15. So Jim, if you want to go ahead and uh, play that. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, Send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me. She said. He replied, It is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Yes, Lord. She said, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Then Jesus answered, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. story that's in front of us this morning has a backdrop that's very, very important. Uh, understand this, just a few days earlier there was a, a little bit of a battle between Jesus and the Pharisees. And Jesus had called out their traditions and, and looked at their heart and he went after their heart really in a profound way. And this, again, was just elevating the contention between Jesus and the Pharisees and the people that have rejected him as Jesus was pushing back and they were pushing back at him. So Jesus, after that incident that we looked at last week, he leaves the region and he heads to Tyre. And if you, now, this would have been walking. There was no cars and probably not even any donkeys or any animals to ride. But this would have been like walking from downtown Grand Rapids to Aiken. So that's the distance that he would have covered here as he kind of walked away from the Pharisees. And he heads toward this seaport city called Tyre. And the group there that was in the city was called the Phoenicians. They were skilled in trade. A lot of trading went on there with boats, and they were skilled seafaring people. And, and so that's the context of the city. But history tells us that actually there were Jewish communities that were in the area, even though they were a long way from Galilee. 
they actually had pretty good relationship with the Jews. And matter of fact, when uh, Paul, on his third missionary journey, he actually stayed entire here, and you can look up that in Acts chapter 21. But people assume, scholars assume, that Jesus leaves. He probably was going to stay at some Jewish family or a group of families there. And so he's heading out there. And today, then, we have this encounter with a Canaanite woman. And again, we assume here that she probably lived close by. And somehow she had heard that Jesus was in the area and found out, and she was looking to meet him. We saw that on the screen. But just stop and think about this a second. There were no cell phones, no one calling ahead and letting people know that Jesus was coming. There was no social media. Jesus wasn't on Facebook. There was no, his Twitter feed was not very big, so there was only a few people that knew that. But do you catch the breath of his reputation here? Way even beyond the Jews. It spread for 50 miles at minimum here. But this woman was a Canaanite. Now, if you don't know what a Canaanite is, it was a group of people that were descended from the ancient tribe of Noah's son, Ham. And being a Canaanite, though, is very critical to our story in, in digging in this morning. If you remember the Canaanites, they were actually in the land when Israel heads out of Egypt, coming up to the land, and the Canaanites were in the land at the time, and they went over and crossed over, and they went in, and Jesus actually, or God actually gave uh, them a command, and it was this, kill them all, wipe them off the face of the earth. But they didn't do it. There was many that were left, and all of a sudden, they became actually, in history, a thorn in the side to Israel. Now, if you remember the name King Ahab, there have been movies on that one, he was a Canaanite, and the woman that he married actually was a Phoenician princess, Jezebel. And again, I'll remind you, don't ever name your daughter Jezebel, okay? But, but the Canaanite religion... Even at the time of Christ, it included many gods, and there were mostly male-female representations of nature, and the primary god was Baal, and he was the god of thunder. But in that, it included many practices that were really strange, even to the point of sacrificing children uh, and killing children as a part of the sacrifices. It also included uh, much lewd and immoral acts, and the quote here, with sacred prostitutes, orgies and all of those things that would take place. But the Canaanites really were a, a twisted group of people. But we see this Canaanite woman reach out to Jesus and look at the encounter here in verse 22. Verse 22. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. She falls at the feet of Jesus and cries out, Mercy on me. Now, I think that there's a bit of an irony here already. 
A couple of days earlier, the Pharisees, a group of Jews, they encountered Jesus and they were blinded to who he was, refusing to even acknowledge him as a prophet. And you have a Canaanite woman here bowing before him, basically saluting him as the Messiah, son of David. And, and you go, what is wrong with the Jews? But let me give you an observation here, an application as we walk through the passage here. It's going to be kind of heavy on our application today. Number one, if you're following along in the bulletin outline, I said it this way. People who grow up around Christ, and it could be young or old, can be more spiritually blind than those who grow up with no godly heritage. See, I think at times we depend on a heritage in order for the, the scales to come off their eyes. But understand this, growing up in a church doesn't guarantee anything. But the irony is here is a pagan, a Canaanite, who loves her daughter, and she seeks out Jesus because her daughter was demonized. But look at the response in the Matthew. Look at verse 23. And he did not answer her word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she's crying out after us. And he answered, I was only sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So a woman, pagan, begging Jesus. She's before Jesus and the disciples' reaction. Jesus, send her away. Uh, do you realize that the disciples had no problem marginalizing people? Now, and do, do you ever wonder about the disciples? Kind of, did they ever get it? Really compassionate guys here, weren't they? And they pegged Jesus to send her away. Now, I also ponder this in our day and age. If this was happening, and someone was, you know, taping them on their iPhone, this encounter. Do you know that it would be all over the internet? And it would be this headlines going, disciples of Jesus, bigots. Marginalizing don't like women. They don't care because he's not Jewish. But isn't there an application in that for us? Number two, even people walking with Jesus can lack compassion for the lost. And they were literally walking with Jesus but there's good news here as well, folks. i got to remind you of that. That God wasn't done transforming the disciples. And the good news for us, he's not done transforming us either. And at times, maybe we're just a little bit more like the disciples than we want to admit. After last week's sermon on traditions and hypocrisy. It, it was interesting. A lady uh, came up to me during the, after the first service, and, and she told me a story in, in, in true what she encountered. She had gone to the grocery store after, um, after church one day, and um, she ended up going through the line, was checking out, and she asked the checker the question, hey, how's your day going? And this is how the checker responded. It was kind of a terrible day. It wasn't going very well. 
And the checker went on to say this. It was because of the after-church crowd that was coming into the grocery store. And they were so critical and cantankerous. And you go, okay, is there some hypocrisy here? The church people have got a reputation after they leave church and go to the grocery store or to retail places, and we get the church crowd, at least one checker. That's the reputation of, the, of churches that are going to, going to the uh, places after church. Uh, a reputation. Now, the bad news is that is hypocrisy, I think. But there's a flip side as well. The recognition that God, he wants us to go farther that time spiritually than when we're at. Uh, let me throw a question throw at you. It's not in the notes, but I asked this. I said this. How satisfied are you with where you are at spiritually in your relationship with Christ? Are you really okay with where you're at? Where I'm at. And I would say this I hope you're not satisfied. But if you're ambivalent and you don't think about that question ever, I go, that's not a good place to be. See, the truth is, is that Jesus wants to change us far more than we can even imagine. And he wants us to cooperate in that transformation. But that is true of his disciples here as well. He wasn't done with them yet. He was going to change them and keep working in them. But we need to turn to Jesus for a second because there's something disconcerting here, the way that Jesus answers this woman. The first thing in, in, in phrase in 23, but he did not answer her a word. He didn't acknowledge her. He ignored her and he go, okay, why? Was this the disciples and Jesus having a bad day? No compassion? Let me read the text of, of what he did answer. Verse 24, I was, he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Do you understand what he's saying here? That, lady, I'm not here for you. And then you go, okay, is he snubbing because she's a, she's a Gentile? So what's happening here? I think as we look at it and you just kind of ponder this, I think one thing that's going on is he's training his disciples, helping them understand that his coming into the world was to fulfill prophecy here and also because of the covenant between Abraham and, and God. And that as he comes into the world, he had to first offer himself to Israel. So in getting away here, you know, I understand his intent was not to go to this area to minister. I think it was to rest and kind of hide. It wasn't intentional here in any form of ministry. But he knew that he had to go to his own people first. You know what, this is Palm Sunday. And some of you are going, I'm not preaching on a Palm Sunday sermon. And I truly believe that you'll get over it, okay? 
if you got issues, go back to the last week's sermon on tradition and then listen and then we'll talk, okay? But this week is Holy Week. Jesus is coming into the city today, but he needed to fulfill his destiny. So he's riding in a colt. People are praising him. They're putting palms down. They're celebrating him, and they want to make him king. But Jesus understood one thing. He needed to be rejected. He needed to be rejected by his own people first. Look at John chapter 1. A couple verses I'll give it to you here this morning. It says this, The true light which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world, and he was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, the people of Israel, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. So so you notice in 12, those who did receive him, here was a Canaanite pagan who received him and was becoming a child of God. And the rest of the people were refusing to acknowledge that he was even from God. But here's where we need to dig deeper into this woman here because it's obvious that God had started something in her heart and he needed to finish it So she had heard about Jesus coming. She seeks him out because her daughter's demonized. But let me give you the observation here, number three, that leads to a number of applications for us. This woman gives us an understanding of the nature and the pathway to grace and faith. Folks, she's a model for us. This woman whose ancestors, God has said, get rid of them. I want you to kill all those Canaanites. And they didn't, and the result was this woman. But let me give you one of the applications, letter A, for your notes. God's grace is not dependent on our past and present sins. Isn't that good? But that is true of this woman. See, we can assume that she had grown up in an environment. It wasn't a Jewish background. She would have been growing up with the religious acts of that religion that were really perverse. Matter of fact, I want to read you a summary of a historian that writes on this. Look at how he writes. Canaanite worship was socially destructive. Its religious acts were pornographic and sick, seriously damaging the children, creating early impressions of deities with no interest in moral behavior. It tried to dignify by the use of religious labels and depraved acts of bestiality and corruption. It had a low estimate of human life. It suggested that anything was permissible, promiscuity, murder, or anything else in order to guarantee a good crop at harvest. It ignored the highest values both in the family and the wider community, love, loyalty, purity, peace, and security, and encouraged the view that all these things were inferior to material prosperity, physical satisfaction, and human pleasure. That's her history. Now, I realize that the scripture doesn't say this, 
But because of the depravity of the religious worship of the Canaanites, most scholars, the two or three that I read here, they believe that the demonization of this daughter, she would have been seven or eight somewhere in that vicinity, according to Mark's that use of that word there, that young girl. She would have been somewhere in seven to eight, but this daughter was around these practices, involved in some of these things, and that's where the demon probably entered at some point during a religious ceremony. This woman was from sexual perversions, deep idolatry. Matter of fact, I want to show you a connection to to demons here. Look at 1 Corinthians 10. Look at how it reads. Consider the people of Israel. It's talking about being uh, food sacrificed to idols. But do not those who eat the sacrifices participate in the altar? Do I mean then that food sacrificed to an idol is anything or that an idol is anything? No. But the sacrifices of the pagans are offered to demons, not to God. And do, I do not want you to participate with the demons. Paul is saying there, you understand, outside of true worship with God, the religious practices of the world are saturated in demonic activity. And I think we don't realize that at times. See, this woman, though, without a doubt, would have been involved in some of those things. See, this woman had a past. And she had no spiritual advantages. She wasn't a part of the covenant. She had no high priest. She didn't go to the temple. She didn't hear the teachings of the scribes. She had no one to explain to her what a godly life was about. There was no Sunday school class for her teaching her about Yahweh. But somehow, she's entering a path that leads to grace, and she hears about Jesus, and because of her love for her daughter, she runs to him, and she bows before him. But there's something else, another application. Let her be here. She knew that she wasn't deserving of grace. She's begging crying out to Jesus. The first words, see, this; those words speak volumes about her here. It isn't about the healing. The first words, he, she's asking, give me mercy. She, I, I think this, she knew that she didn't deserve it. She deserved the scorn of Jesus. She didn't demand. She didn't claim privilege here, nothing. Now, I, Let me give you an observation as I pondered this. People that are surrounded by church and God talk all the time, I think there's a tendency that we can have, and it's this. There's a very subtle form of demanding that God come through for us. You know, God, because we're your child, we deserve you fixing it for us quickly. God, quickly get us out of this mess that we're in. And matter of fact, if you don't believe that kind of privilege, I really believe it's taught in the prodigal son. If you go to that story and you look at the son that stayed back, the one that had it all together, he actually became a victim, demanding that he get his stuff. Father, you blessed the bad one. Father, I'm not getting what I deserve. 
But see, this woman was the opposite. She bowed in front of Jesus, bowed her heart in front of him. She knew that she did not deserve mercy. And if Jesus healed her, if he got anything from her, it was pure grace. She felt no entitlement here. She's just opening herself up to faith and the grace of God. Thy will be done. She didn't go, God, I didn't deserve how I grew up. She just begged for mercy. But there's another issue here that opened her up to faith and grace. Let her see. She understood and was fixed on the object of her faith and the giver of grace. She was fixed on Jesus. Listen, have mercy on me, O Lord. Son of David, O Lord. Here's a Jew bowing, giving, recognizing he has authority in, in her life. And again, raised in an adulterous home. Again, no vacation, Bible school, her mom and dad sending her to somewhere to learn about this stuff. See, her background was pure ugliness. The modern equivalent, I think, of her background would be this. If you grew up in a family with witchcraft or Wicca, something on that order, that's who she is. No Jew. She wasn't a Jew. There was no, you know, woe is me though either. Jesus, I had it so hard. No. Jesus, don't you know the circumstances of my life? I deserve healing. And you go, wasn't her. She opens her palms up and says, Lord, you're the giver, giver of life. You're the one who can heal. She recognized that. Thy will be done. You are in control. And I bow before you. Another quality, though, I see here as well that shows this pathway that she took. Letter D. She didn't care about her reputation either. She went home. She went up to a Jewish man. She wasn't supposed to talk to him. But she went to great lengths publicly to find Jesus. She didn't hide her need for healing or for care. Her need was public. Now, jump with me back to 2016, to our day, forward to 2016. Can, can I just give you an observation when we have needs in our lives, and I, I got to include me on this one? We're reluctant to share needs, our spiritual needs with each other. And so often, when things are happening in our lives, we don't want people to know that we're struggling. We want privacy. So we put up walls around our lives and our marriages, our homes, giving the perception that nothing's really wrong. See, this woman, it was public. The issue was public for her. But even think of the card that, that Cal encouraged you to write out. I really wish we had more people fill it out and say, I need prayer for this. See, I think the challenge is, as a, as a church, as, as Christians here, and even in the United States, I've seen that over years and years, is that we're reluctant to let people into our lives that can actually pray for us. Now, do we need, you know, everybody, the answer is no. But there needs to be some kind of public understanding that, you know what, we're not perfect, we're broken. 
But this woman, she admitted that she needed grace and mercy. One more, though, letter E, another observation. The pathway to grace and faith demands persistence, and we see this with this woman, and deep humility. She doesn't give up. Now, what Matthew doesn't communicate, which Mark does, and we won't go to the passage, Mark says that she kept on begging and crying. It wasn't just a one-time thing. It was a consistent over and over again as she was coming to Jesus. She didn't have this attitude like, oh, I asked once and therefore I guess he rejected me. And so, oh, I can tell everybody that I tried Jesus, but, you know, it didn't work. That wasn't her here, folks. I think a lot of times where we want to go with God, we, we ask once, maybe twice, and we go, oh, the sovereignty of God. Let's just rest with that. I think there's a persistence in faith that we need to come over and over again and keep asking. God wants us to come to him. But here is a woman screaming at the top of her lungs, Jesus, have mercy. And Jesus stays quiet. And, you know, you pause and go, why was he silent? I was baffled with this one and digging this week. Here's what I discovered a number of people writing, coming to the conclusion of this. He was actually testing her faith. And we're kind of uncomfortable even with that. He wanted to show his disciples this pathway to how to... What's about faith? What is it about faith that and persistence and keeping going? I, so I think he was both teaching the disciples, but he was testing her to see if her faith was real. And did you catch, I won't read it again, but he tells her that I'm the Jewish Messiah and you don't qualify, lady. She referred, he referred to her as, used the word dogs. That wasn't a very nice response by Jesus. But did you catch her response? You know what? Even the dogs get some crumbs off the master's table. Did you see how she passed that test? See, Jesus was the obstacle, the test there. And she passed it with flying colors. And I think she was an object lesson for the disciples as well. But she never took offense to it. She didn't respond like this. Well, if that's the kind of God you are, I'm going back to idolatry. No, she's figuring out grace and faith before the disciples did. And in humility. She, she takes it that I'm being compared to a dog. But Jesus, if I just get some crumbs from you, I will be thrilled. No pride, no self-righteousness, just faith. And Jesus was enough. And look at the response of Jesus in verse 28. Then he answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed Instantly. Um, 
one of the commentaries made a point here and said this, oh woman, great is your faith. Only two times did Jesus commend somebody for great faith like this. And both times they were Gentiles. And one was this woman. Jesus gave her grace. And that grace spilled out over into her life and her daughter's life. And her daughter was healed instantly. Do you catch the greatness of who Jesus is? He wanted to work in this woman's heart. And she kept moving toward him and faith and recognized. But let me just close with this and apply it a little bit more to us today. And I'm going to ask the elders to come on up that are going to serve communion as well. What are, but ask, what is the state of our hearts? Are there things in place where we're helping move ourselves toward that path of greater faith and where God can give grace? See, do we see that we need mercy? Or do we demand that healing needs to come now because we're a bit of a victim? Are we seeking the object of true grace and faith? Or are we only looking to Jesus when it's convenient? Are we setting aside our pride? Opening up our lives, letting people know so that they can pray for us and be with us in that journey of brokenness? And are we persistent? And are we okay that God might be silently testing our faith? Are we okay with that? Do we see if we're truly willing to seek him? If we're willing to set aside our pride and humble ourselves before him? That's what he's looking for. See, the pathway to grace and great faith is running to Jesus. That's what we got to do. And you recognize today we're celebrating that. Folks, what this represents is the grace of God. That he died for us. And as we put our faith in him, he made us his own children. And he begins to work on us and he wants to give us more faith and more grace-filled acts toward us. So we just need to pause today and just give thanks that God is a merciful God. And even toward this woman, a Canaanite, who she, should, she didn't deserve it. But he gave her great grace.